0: finally the big moment here uh, for this uh, service, I've always been putting this on hold as far as what this series is about and what we're doing. So here's the big unveiling, if if you haven't been with us yet, for weeks one and two. Uh, In this series, what we often do after Easter is we take a few weeks, we take a series just to talk about what it means to be a Christian and, and what all it entails. And In in this series, we're saying what it means to follow Jesus. And so we weren't too clever with the series title. We just said, let's call it Follow, because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about Follow Jesus. And so um, what we talked about in week one was something that really uh, struck me. Ben Ben, uh, led week one, and he said that when it comes to various religions, something we all acknowledge is that religions can be really weird. They do weird things in the name of God. And so a question you might have is, well, what does it mean to follow Jesus then? And the simple answer is, with Jesus, it's not so much about requirements. Well, the main thing is simply a relationship with him. He called sinners, he called tax collectors, people that were hated to follow him. And throughout that following, he refined them through relationship, not through rules. Oh, and then last week, as Ben continued the series, we talked about if you follow Jesus, you're going to have a very different relationship with fear. Uh, Jesus doesn't take away necessarily the things that made you afraid, but he does take away the power they have to make you afraid. And that happened primarily when Jesus came back to life and conquered, it, uh, conquered death for you. And so both of those messages are a lot online. If you'd like to dive into them more, uh, you can see our website in the program here. Today is a, is a message that's just totally practical because we're saying, well, okay, if you want to follow Jesus, what Do you have to wear? What do you wear to follow Jesus? Now, one of the observations is that when you look at people in general, you can often tell something about them by the clothing that they wear. I'm going to take that a further level. Some people invite you to judge them based on what they are wearing. I'm going to show you a few examples here. Who does this guy follow? (laughs) Packers. This is interactive time, so just shout out the answers. Uh, What about this next guy? Who does he follow? The Vikings. So the, 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 let me get this straight. The Packers follow Aaron Rodgers. The Vikings follow just anybody, right? <laughs> I was trying to see if John Sackett, because he bought a purple minivan for Pete's sake. I, I have to give him a hard time this weekend. Um, one more here. What's he, what does he follow? Baseball. Baseball. And I haven't figured this out yet. Is, there, is this a specific team? Maybe the Mets. That's the best answer I've come up with so far. I don't know, but... Anyway, this guy is either totally into baseball or he's really bad at Frankenstein makeup. One of the two. Um, So quite often, people invite you just to look at how they look and to make some assumptions based on it. They want to show you what they're passionate about. Now, the same is true of religions. As you look at religious people from around the world, the way they dress is sending a message. Um, I'm going to give you four pictures here. They're going to get harder towards the end. Same thing. Just shout out the answer when you think you have it. Who does this guy follow, or what is he? He's a Jew, so he follows Judaism. You can tell by the the hair, the hat, the the stuff, okay? And one observation before we go to the next picture. Do you see what this guy is holding? A knife. I don't know everything that Jews do with knives, but I know one thing they do. I'm not sure what he's planning on doing. Um, Next one. Who are these guys? Buddhists. They follow Buddhism, right? They, um, they trace their things back to the tenets of a guy. I don't know. He has many different names, but they simply call him Buddha. And so he is basically the one that these guys follow. You can tell by the way they're dressed and what they're doing. What about these people? They're Amish. Their be- belief system has an impact on how they live their daily lives, and they reflect that in how they dress. Last one, toughest one. Sikhs. Good. These guys follow Sikhism. You can tell by that headband that they have. I'm not sure of the official term, but I did find that they show you online how to make these things on your head if, you get, if you're interested, so it is online. These are Sikhism. This is actually the fifth largest religion in the world, the fastest growing, and also one of the youngest. Um, so it's a growing movement, and if you ever see those uh, head coverings on, on men, you can tell that those are men following the tenets of Sikhism. Now, where are we going with this? You can often tell by someone, just by how they're dressed, you can tell who they follow. So here's the big question. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, what do you wear? If you really want to be passionate and let people know that you're a follower of Jesus, what do you wear? We're going to put it this way for our first fill-in. If you can tell whom someone follows by what they wear, what should a Christian wear? And this has been a debate Believe it or not, for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years within Christian circles, well, what are you supposed to wear? And part of the confusion goes back to the Old Testament before Jesus was here. God gave very specific clothing requirements to people who were his followers. Uh, Jesus told the priests and the Levites they were to wear specific robes, gowns. Uh, They had this thing called the Urim and the Thummim, and they had 12 stones on this thing, and very specific with regard to how he wanted his people to dress. So much so that, guys, get this, God prescribed a specific haircut. For all the Jews who wanted to follow him, God gave a specific haircut. Awesome. Um, by the way, in the first service, like there was lightning and thunder going out, and one time I timed it perfect. It was just great. Uh, so the question is, if you can tell whom someone's following by what they wear, the question is, what should a Christian wear? Now, When Jesus came, he said that all these things that happened, all the clothing, the haircuts, that stuff set people apart as a picture of what he would one day do. And now Jesus says, I have been set apart. I have fulfilled all those things. And now you're free to live as you like. Free to honor God, not according to those restrictions, but honor him by a new and, and so now in the New Testament, Christians are just finding all sorts of different ways to get dressed. I'm going to so give you a couple of examples here. So we could follow our cue from this guy. He has a name. I looked it up. I forgot it. But he was popular in the late 70s. He'd go to all these sports arenas, sports things, and he'd basically be really loud and obnoxious. And unfortunately, some people's only encounter with a Christian was this guy, Okay? So that's one option. We could do this. Here's the opposite extreme. Uh, We could hold up picket fences, pull up picket signs, and say, God hates you. And um, things like, God loves dead soldiers, and things like that. And, And there are Christians in today's world who, when they clothe themselves, they carry signs of hatred and judgment and condemnation. So the question is, if you know whom someone follows by what they wear, what should... A follower of Jesus wear. In just a minute, we're going to see how the Apostle Paul in the first century gave very specific instructions on how Christians were to be clothed. And before we get there, the thing that he balances everything on is something Jesus said to his disciples. The night before Jesus died, he sat down with his disciples and he said, Do you want people to know you're my followers? Do you want to show everyone who you are? Then here's what you are to wear. John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Jesus talking to his disciples. He calls them children just as a term of endearment. We won't go into that. But Jesus says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. Where I'm going, you can't come. I'm going to die. can't follow me there. And then I'm going to go up into heaven, and you can't quite follow me there yet either. But here's the thing, guys. I'm not going to be with you, but here's what's really important. I have a new command. And this should have perked up their ears like nothing else. We've been following you for three years, Jesus, and now you're saying there's this new command. Jesus is like, yeah. (laughs) So listen to it. A new command I give you. He goes on. Love one another. Well, that's not new. Well, this part is new. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And this would have been up until that night. Jesus is saying, "You remember how I've loved you up to this point? I want you to love one another." Well, what has he done? Well, most recently, he washed all their feet. He says, "Remember how I've loved you? Loved one, love one another." It could go all the way back to when he first met the disciples. Um, they started telling the word. Like, one guy found Jesus, and he went and told his brother, hey, there's this guy from Nazareth. Come check him out. And he says, what good can come from Nazareth? Basically dissed Jesus and his entire family his entire neighborhood. <laughs> and yet Jesus said, come follow me anyway. He approached Matthew, this tax collector, like we talked about the last couple weeks. Matthew, come follow me. Come follow me. Jesus is saying here, do you remember how I've loved you? Now go love one another. It goes on. By this every one all men will know who you are. If you want to be known as a follower of Jesus Christ, this is how you do it. Love one another as I have loved you, And that way when this happens, when you love one another as I have loved you, people from all places, from all countries, all nations will see the kind of love you're showing and they will come to a conclusion. This must be a follower of Jesus, not because of his clothing on the outside, but because of the way he's dressed in his heart. Now this was so important, and Jesus has laid on them this important concept, this important rule, which would guide them for the rest of their lives. Now I've known in our last series, especially, we picked on Peter quite a bit, right? Like we totally just, whoa, we, yeah, we're gonna do it a little bit more. It's fun to pick on Peter. This is how Peter responds to this. Peter says, "Hey, five minutes ago you said you were going somewhere. Where are you going?" It's like Peter, I just gave you a new command. No, Lord, where are you going? Jesus clarified, where I'm going, I said this, you can't follow now. You will follow later. Someday, we'll be together again. Peter asked, well, why can't I follow you now? I want to be with you now. Why, I will lay down my life for you now. And, and this, remember, this is right off when Jesus said, okay, if you want to love me, love one another. And Peter says, well, forget the one another, Jesus. I want to love just you. Just you. And, and what Peter confesses accidentally in that moment is something that all of us have. I would, I would wager any religion naturally defaults towards what Peter is doing, but even Christians default towards this. It's this thing where we say, God, I'll do anything for you. I will love you. I will repent to you as long as I don't have to mess with one another, because that can be messy. An example, you do something to somebody, it's a word, it's an action, whatever, it's in the heated moment and you're you're not thinking straightly and all of a sudden, a day or two later, you're like, ah, that wasn't maybe the best thing to do. I feel bad about that. I feel bad. And so what what does your religion tell you? Dear God, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. Oh, thank you. Amen. And you've made things right with God but not with one another. See, this is the default that all of us naturally gravitate back into because dealing with one another is so hard, it's so messy, it's so complicated, so awkward. But Jesus says, if you want to be known as a follower of me, love one another. Um, uh, Are we at our second fill-in yet? Yeah, okay. Here's our second fill-in for the day. So love for others is at the heart of what makes Jesus' followers stand apart. This is at the heart. This is at the heart. If someone comes up to me and they say, I want to show my faith, I want to go on a mission trip, I want to do this, I want to do that, um, that's great. Is this demonstrating a love for others based on the love you have for God? How does this help you demonstrate love that God showed first to you? And this is such a difficult thing. It's not just hard for us today. This was hard for Peter when he first heard this new command to love one another as God has loved us. And this was difficult for the Christians in the first century. As the Apostle Paul went around building, planting new churches, new congregations, gathering people together, he had to go back and write all these letters to them. Because as much as he told them, hey, you need to love one another as your worship for God, they kept reverting back to this old religion where it was just them doing things for God. And so Paul had to remind them time and time again. In fact, as you look at the New Testament in your Bible, almost all of the letters that you find there are written because Christians didn't get this. And it still happens to me It still happens to you. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at one of Paul's letters where he writes to some Christians in a city called Colossae, which was a huge city back then, not so much anymore. But the issues he brought up to them are so clarifying on this question. What should a Christian wear? And it starts out like this. This is the most important phrase, and it's right here up top at the beginning. He says, therefore, since something is true already, And this truth is this, since therefore you are God's chosen people, Jews, Gentiles, doesn't matter, in Christ, you're God's chosen people. You're his children. You are holy in Christ because He's what he's, what he's done for you on the cross. You're dearly loved. Okay, all of this is what's already true. Because of that, Paul gives them a command. You need... To do something, you must clothe yourselves, and he lists five things here. Clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Clothe yourselves with these things. Now, I'm going to take a little break here. We're going to talk about these five things. I'm going to give you some things to think about, but here's a general observation first. With all these five things, there there's its counterpart. Like with humility, there's pride. With compassion, there's selfishness. I'm, what's the opposite of patience? I was trying to think of a word. Impatience, I guess. With, uh, so there's always this counterpart that's luring you in, but Paul, uh, Paul says you need to get rid of the old clothing. Put on these things. And you know what? These things don't come from you. These are fruits of the Spirit that he gives to you. And the more you understand this, that you are... God's chosen people. You are holy. You are dearly loved. The more you learn that, the more you dig, dig into that, the more you will be clothed with these things. So that said, I'm going to give you just some quick insights into these five things, then we're going to summarize it in one word. The first thing is compassion. I love this Greek word in the Greek, because compassion for us, it's kind of like this heart thing. Where I have compassion on someone, or I have compassion for you. Compassion is just sort of this nebulous thing. For them, the word compassion literally means like intestines, or bowels, or something inside of you. It's basically this feeling where when you see somebody in need, it gets your stomach in a twist. Like it makes you ache on the inside. Or think of it this way. Compassion is when you're unsettled on the inside until something on the outside becomes settled. Compassion drives you to help others. Compassion drove Jesus to see crowds of people and have pity on them and help them. Compassion drove Jesus to see you stuck in your sins and to die for you on a cross. Compassion, clothe yourself. The next one, uh, clothe yourself in kindness. And just a quick way to think of this, con- kindness is basically the opposite of complaining about bad things. Kindness is to be for good things. That you do good. Well, why? <laughs> because God showed mercy on you. He didn't focus on the bad things and, and complain about them, but rather he did something good. He showed you kindness in restoring you to him once again. Clothe yourself with kindness. Third thing, clothe yourself with humility. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking rightly. Rightly of yourself. Because the thing that's true is that all of us are on the same level. Humanly speaking, we're all sinners. We've all been forgiven by God through faith. All of us are the same. Humility keeps you honest with that. Why clothe yourself with humility? Because Jesus made himself lower than he was to be on the same level as you, to bring you up, to forgive you, to give you heaven as a gift. So clothe yourself with community, with humility. Clothe yourself with gentleness. Have, do you remember the first time you saw a dog pick up a puppy with its mouth? Have you ever seen that? I remember the first time when I was a kid, I saw one of, one of our dogs had puppies. That was another lesson I learned as a young child, by the way. I saw our dog pick up her puppies with her mouth. I'm like, Dad, Dad, she's killing her puppies! And they said, don't worry, she's being gentle with them. She's just picking them up to move them. That's, that's how it works. And gentleness is the exact same thing. Gentleness is saying, I'm capable of this, but I'm going to approach it on a different level for the sake of the person I'm trying to love. Well, why would we do that? Because God was absolutely gentle with you and continues to be. <laughs> Though he could condemn us, With his anger and wrath, instead, as a loving father, he says, there is sin that needs to be taken care of, and I've taken care of it. Clothe yourselves in gentleness. Last one, clothe yourself with patience. Um, Have you ever seen a dog that's good with kids? Some of you might have one. If you have a dog that's good with kids, you can put a baby next to that dog, and the baby will pick at the paw, and the baby will pull on the tail and yank it and bite it, maybe, I don't know. A baby will pick on the ears and do all these things, and and what will the dog do? It'll sort of just look up and say, what are you doing, and then put its head back down. That dog is the epitome. That's a good picture for what the Bible means with the word patience. Patience is this ability to endure negative things without a negative reaction. Patience keeps you going steady even in the midst of negativity. So clothe yourself with patience. Why? Because God was infinitely patient with you and continues to be every single day. Clothe yourself with patience. Now, one thing I acknowledge in all these things, this is complicated, right? I'm sure even by now you've forgotten what I said about compassion unless you're thinking about bowels and intestines moving around and stuff. But these things can get easily lost, and right now you're thinking, well, how can I clothe myself with all these things every single day? And I think as, as Paul had these words written, he says, these people are going to lose it. <laughs> this is a lot to remember. So he says, I'm going to summarize it all in one thing. And he gets there in verse 14. He says, over all these good things, I want you to put on love. Because love binds them all together in perfect unity. Love has a way of putting all these things together in one good thing Rather than saying, I need to be more patient or I need to be more gentle, love has the ability to take them all in equal value and apply them in your life. Well, how can love do that? Because God showed you a kind of love that keeps everything in perfect balance. His gentleness, his kindness, his patience, his compassion, all perfectly wound up in Christ. Christ. So if you look at all these things, Paul says, look, love governs all of them. It's all about love, the kind of love that God showed to us. And here's where I want to acknowledge. This sounds great. We can put it up on a screen, maybe even make a little chart and paste it on my bathroom mirror if I want to. But as far as doing this, this is difficult. And again, I, as, as you read through what Paul is saying, he acknowledges the difficulty of this. Because if you, if you wake up and you say, okay, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, I'm going to clothe myself in these things governed by love, it's going to make my life messy. Because it's not just going to be about me and God, it's going to include people who do things. And so Paul acknowledges this difficulty here. This is uh, verse 13. He says, look, as you do all this stuff, you're going to have to bear with each other. Because each other is going to be a bear. You're going to have to forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive the grievances because one another is going to make you full of grief. It will happen. But as Paul looks at this, he says, well, what's the driving factor in this? Why is it worth the trouble? And he concludes like this. He says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Oh, yeah. This is why. This is how. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Now as I think about other ways to to conclude this this message here, I acknowledge that this might be one of those other messages where you're like, okay, this is a uh, love your neighbor sermon. Um, We'll put the words back up here one more time. So this is kind of a love your neighbor sermon, one of those things again, and you know, we can dismiss it on Tuesday morning. And we kind of forget about it easily. So I'm thinking, well, what would motivate me if I were in your seat right now? What would drive me to take this absolutely seriously? Um, Think about it this way. Let's say that a complete stranger had their entire wardrobe boxed up and mailed to your door, and you had to put all their clothing, every single, from socks up to shirts, everything scattered all over the place, and you had to try to figure out what kind of person... These clothes belong to. I thought about that. You could tell a lot about just the clothes a person wears. Um, You could tell with pretty good certainty what level of occupation they have. You could tell what age they are. You could tell, hopefully, what gender they are. Uh, You could tell what kind of habits they have. You can smell the clothing, see what habits they have. You can smell what kind of food they like to cook. And some people bake weird food, by the way. You can smell it, sorry. But you can tell all sorts of things. You can tell what their hobbies are. You can tell probably what their religion is even just by looking at their clothes. So here's the last fill-in for you. Then I'm going to tell a story. What you wear tells your story. It's a glimpse at what's going on inside. And if you can tell whom someone follows by what they wear, what should a Christian wear? Therefore, since you are God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with love. If you've been here the last uh, four or five weeks, you know that we've been praying for uh, a member of our church named Craig Siefkin. I talked to his wife, Jen, last night, and she said it'd be okay to share their story uh, with what they've been going through. Um, it was two or three years ago they found this tumor in Craig's brain uh, right between the two hemispheres. And they weren't too worried about it. They were monitoring it. They were making sure it wasn't growing, and everything seemed okay until earlier, earlier this year they said, Craig, we need to get this out of you. We need to have surgery. So it was about six weeks ago he went in for surgery, and they were hoping um, that it would be a four-day recovery uh, in ICU and then you know, on, to, on to rehab and recovery Um, hopefully expecting a full recovery. And so we've been keeping him him in our prayers because what what started as four days in ICU turned into a week, turned into two weeks, turned into three weeks, four weeks, five. And all this while, his wife Jen has been inseparably by his side. Now in the meantime, Craig's parents have come to watch their four boys and try to maintain some sort of normalcy throughout the situation. And I have to be careful how I phrase this next part, because when you're in church, you have to be careful. God allowed Craig to come home from the hospital to his house this last week. On Wednesday, he finally got to come home after five, almost six weeks in the hospital. And I was talking to Jen last night, and I said... How have things been? What's been going on? And she said the reaction that they got from their Christian family, from their friends, has been overwhelming. Uh, Craig's parents have been at home with the kids for five weeks. They said, she said that her parents haven't had to cook a single meal in those five weeks because people came to their house every day saying, here's supper, here's some groceries, here's what you might need. People came day after day after day, so much so that they have about 12 basketfuls left of leftovers in their freezer right now. And that's like a different issue on stewardship, but we'll do that in a different series. They have been so blessed. Jen told me there is a stack of cards and letters uh, that she has at home. And she said, and Matt, you should see the thank you list of people I need to thank. She said, it is huge. Um, there is one thing that really struck her. Um, Beyond like her growth group, who was always there for her, supporting her, um, she said that one of the moments that she recognized this was something big was the people she worked with in the public school system, uh, their teachers, they happened to have an in-service day on the day that Craig was going through a major procedure to have a shunt put into his head to relieve some pressure. And, and these public school teachers in a public school, uh, in the media room, as they were having this meeting, they got this text And they said, we need to stop and have a prayer for Craig. And in this public school with people gathering around, some Christians, some not, the Christians said, you know what? We need to stop and pray. And so they actually got a picture of this, and you can't see it too well, but you see these people who woke up that morning saying, we need to clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and goodness and love. And one of the last things that Jen told me was uh, she recognized that in the midst of these several weeks in the hospital, she said, "Uh, God has been taking care of us during this time. He's been sending us the people to get us through this. And I think more than that, Jen would agree, he wasn't just getting them through this, but there were a lot of people getting something from this. We got to see an example of what it looks like when followers of Jesus clothe themselves In love. Now, what if all the followers of Jesus would wake up in the morning deciding what to wear from their closet, but they would also say to themselves, What will I need to wear today to reflect who I am in God? And ultimately, you come to a conclusion. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy. Dearly loved by God, let us love one another. And what Jesus predicted in John 17 is happening today. He said, Father, make these people one so that people can see the love that we have for them. Let's close with a prayer. Father in heaven, each one of us has a decision every day of our lives to either follow you or drift away from you. For me, for all of us, that, that some days that tension is, is difficult, where there are times of embarrassment, where we'd rather not carry your name. But, but I pray that in today's message, we would be reinvigorated to see the importance of being clothed in your love. This is our way of demonstrating your love to the world. Let our lives qualify the words that we speak about you so that many people would know about your love by the way that we live. Continue to help us as a congregation, as a part of this community, to demonstrate your love to one another in ways that will bring glory to you. One thing I lift up to you in prayer, God, is, is the uh, family of Julie Kicker. Um, her, as you know, her mother was taken home to heaven yest- uh, this morning. Um, so I, I pray for Julie. I pray for her family. While this is a time of sorrow, it's also a time of rejoicing where they know that uh, her mother is no longer in pain, but she is rejoicing with you. Bless all of us. Until that day, you decide to take us home.